0: So um, let's jump in and learn from Jesus. Let me pray, and we'll jump into Mark chapter 6. Lord, once again, uh, we declare you as being the hero in the room, uh, that any of us who listens to this today or anyone who hears this in the future, uh, that we would see this, Lord, not as uh, as a a time, uh, a place, or a message that's about us getting our act together, and bootstrapping it, uh, and just just trying to be a better person. Um, but we would look at you as being the one that you lived out the life perfectly, because we never would. And that's the first first point of the story. That's the greatest of the news is you performed perfectly because we never will. Uh, now, as a result of that, God, um, we can be inspired and we can be empowered by you to to live a life that looks more like you and less like us. And so, Father, may we be unshackled today um, from our past, Lord. Um, And and for those as Christians, may we recognize we're already unshackled from the past because, Jesus, you were shackled with our past um, when it was your future. And so we're just very grateful, Lord, for uh, your great love, uh, for mercy, and pray that there's just a spirit of of grace upon us, a spirit of mercy, a spirit of forgiveness, also a spirit of courage for us to be very honest about our failures in the past, as well as maybe a, a failure that we're dealing with right now. Um, help us in dealing dealing with ourselves, with the truth of what you say, and help us when we deal with others with the truth of what you say too. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Mark 6, 1 to 6. Let me read through it, you guys. Jesus, he went away from there came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get such things? What is the wisdom that was given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. All right, so let's unpack a little bit, you guys, what, what it means to uh, in, engage and understand Jesus' Nazareth and, and your own Nazareth. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Nazareth, uh, the city that that Jesus uh, grew up in. Later on, he moved to Capernaum. Um, a lot of a lot of people mistakenly think that Jesus was was raised uh, in in Bethlehem. That's where he was born, but he wasn't raised there. Eventually. Um, the, uh, and probably because of the gifts that the Magi, um, the folks the, the, known as the wise men, as they came, which Jesus, it wasn't on Christmas Eve uh, when they showed up. Uh, it may have been Jesus was one or two years old by that by that time. But they came and brought some very expensive gifts. And that's probably what enabled Joseph, Joseph when he moved um, to, to Nazareth to be able to set up shop um, as being a carpenter or maybe he already had that going and maybe he was able to invest more. We don't know. Uh, but certainly uh, Joseph uh, was a skilled tradesman. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But let me tell you a few things about Nazareth all the way from, from before Jesus up to Jesus' time and even after um, so the next times when you have hit Nazareth, there may be just one little thing. It's like, you know what? I didn't know. didn't realize that about it. And you have a little more context of Jesus in the ancient near East. Um, a lot of this is coming from, um, uh, it's called the Lexham Bible dictionary. One of the, one of the Bible dictionaries that I use. Um, but talked about Nazareth was settled as early as, uh, the middle bronze age. And it was continued to be settled throughout the iron age. Um, and, uh, but. But the city, the town is not mentioned in literature before the New Testament. So that just means it was not, it wasn't anything special. There just was nothing really noteworthy uh, about that, about, about Nazareth. Uh, Josephus, who is one of the uh, most renowned uh, historians of Jewish history, he doesn't mention Nazareth at all, all right? So uh, it had a predominantly Jewish population until at least the 4th century A.D., um, and probably up until the early seventh uh, century um, there 's no evidence that there was a Roman military that encamped there, the permanent Roman uh, presence. Um, there was uh, been Christian pilgrimages to Nazareth since about the fourth century a d um, Going back again in about the first century um, so this time when Jesus was there, Nazareth, the town predominantly was on this ridge of a mountain. And, um, and, and so, I mean, you can, if you, if you Google it later on and just look for pictures, Nazareth, you can go and even see some now it's, um, the Jezreel Valley is down below it. And there's some good pictures you can see, uh, of the Jezreel Valley. And you see this, this mountain and you see up on the ridge, you see all these houses and, and it's the village and that's, that's Nazareth. So Jesus kind of, he lived up on this, on this ridge, um, and uh, it, um, it was, the village itself was only about 40,000 square meters. Uh, somebody can do the math and, and pretty quickly and tell me how many acres that is uh, or not. But it wasn't very, it wasn't very big. Uh, it probably could have accommodated as much as maybe 2,000 people living there at that time. About 2,000 people. But um, theologians these days and historians... Um, they estimate that it probably was only about two to five hundred people that lived there at the time. All right. Now, what relevance does that have? Well, this means that Jesus lived in a, a small town. How many of y'all in here? You, you grew up in, in a small town, all right? How, how many? Uh, how many? When you consider a small town, I mean, how how large are we talking about? Give me some. Give me some input. How big was the the town? Five thousand. Okay. Two thousand. One thousand. About one thousand a couple thousand, okay, all right, and in those anywhere from a thousand to five thousand uh, people did did people know each other in that town pretty well i mean did, did people did people know what was going on in that town? Um, a lot of times people that were raised in a small town, either they just get stuck in the black hole of it uh, and never and never uh, um, never escape. Or um, others are like, man, I just can't wait to press the eject button. Uh, just watch, just watch Footloose, and, and you'll, you know, you'll understand what we're talking about here. Just can't wait to get get out. Um, but this is, I mean, um, I mean, two to five hundred. This is like a small school you know, around here. Um, well, large school. Um, this is a place where people knew Jesus's family, and they would have known, they would have known Jesus, and we will. We'll, We'll come back to that here in in a little while. Um, Evidence support that um, Nazareth's primary industry was agriculture, which would have included wine and olive oil. So that would probably been their top products. They also wheat and barley would have been things they grew down in the along the slopes and maybe down into the valley a little bit, but but definitely wine. Wine and, and uh, olive oil would have been some of the main things that that they do. And is it any wonder that that Jesus Jesus used uh, olive oil and olive trees and and uh, wine uh, in examples so so much of the time? Um, uh, today, Nazareth is the largest Arab city in Israel. Um, Islam is its primary religion in Nazareth, um, but they it still has a significant christian population and maybe a third of the people that are there it is a pilgrimage site it's a place where a lot of tourists uh they they go they go to nazareth uh, now i've been there i went there in in 1985 and um it was a part of the tour um that we have i don't remember much about nazareth i remember bethlehem i remember jerusalem a lot um i remember uh, masada uh, I uh, remember some other things. I don't remember a lot about Nazareth. And that's just kind of the thing about Nazareth. It's just kind of a forgetful little town like many of us grew up in. Small town, small city, not really renowned. A family that's not really renowned. And out of it, out of it, there's this guy that goes away and he's come back. He's come back uh, to it. Uh, Jesus is his name, of course. In um, this first little part, it says that he went away from there, he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Um, I believe Peter, who is the author of, of Mark, and, and, of course, Mark being the one, it's it's Peter's eyewitness is what, what I believe, what I've been teaching, uh, but Mark uh, making the point, because Peter made the point very clear, um, the disciples followed him. It's a con- It's a contrast of how these guys... They're right with him, and they're supportive. They're learning from him. That will be contrasted against the people that are his family uh, there in in Nazareth. So verse 2 and 3. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. Now, before I jump into the family and the things that they're having to say, um, I want to want to talk a little bit about a, a missional strategy. We we talk we use that term, um, being missional. Uh, and if that's kind of new to you, uh, we believe that the Bible teaches that every Christian is a is a minister, and every Christian is a missionary. Um, that. The ministers and the missionaries are not just the full time in ministry people uh, they get paid for it, but it 's every christian doesn 't matter who pays your paycheck doesn 't matter what you 're doing with your forty plus hours a week that if you are a child of God that you 're a minister and you 're a missionary and so begging that question, then what is my, what is my mission field? Who are the people God has called me to, and what is that supposed to, supposed to look like? Um, this is what, what we're called to do. And, and one of the things that, that Jesus did is he, as a missionary, he went and he engaged people with his story and with who he is. And one of the things he did, and i just kind of call it the synagogue strategy, um, he went to where people were open to spiritual things and open to him. Okay? All right? You, you with me? He engaged in conversations with people who are open to spiritual conversation and open to him. If if the door was blocked either way, he, he wouldn't have gone very very much further. In fact, we'll even see this in the next story of how he trains the, dis, the, the disciples that if you go and people kind of reject you, just kind of says, shake the dust off your feet and just keep moving. Keep going. Go to the people that are open to you and are open to having these kind of conversations. Guys, listen. Some of y'all, you're very devoted Christians. You desperately want God to use you to be a part of impacting your mission field that you're in. But you make it doubly hard upon yourself because you go, you may go after the hardest person or the person that just... Not only they reject Christ, they reject you. They don't want anything to do with you. And it's like, okay, if I can only win them or if I don't win them, I'm doing something wrong. Listen, guys. Um, uh, now, as much as the Lord tells you to do that, then you do that. Don't listen to me. As much as he says, go for that, do that. Um, but, but what we see most of all is that the time that we're to invest in is in people that have an openness to what we, what we believe and an openness to us. Because otherwise you're manipulating, you're pressuring, and it just doesn't work so what I'd challenge you guys is to think about it. Where What's the synagogue in your life? You know, where, where are, uh, it could be truly an environment uh, that you go to. I mean, some of y'all, you're kind of more outspoken, and you will go and engage in conversation. Years ago... Um, I launched a thing called a theology pub where I'd get together with some folks in a brewery, and we'd just over a beer, we would talk about we talk about Jesus, we talk about spiritual things. We'd always bring it back to the gospel. And then after a while, got, that season ended. And then after then after a while later, uh, John Stow, one of our good friends, who's just been sent out to plant another church, started doing the very same thing. And and uh, there's these kind of things that happen all over the nation where people they go into specific environments where they can start conversations like Jesus did and and get it, take take a conversation that becomes spiritual and make it a gospel conversation, all right? So we get it there, all right? Most of y'all, though, you're not going to be called to go and to spearhead something, something that strategic. It's going to be organic. It's going to be God shows you the people that he's placed around you that you are to engage. And you see both of those pistons firing. They're, they, they're open to having conversations that are spiritual, that go to the, that go to the gospel. And they're also open to me. Not, it doesn't mean they think you're, they're, that you're awesome or that you're a fantastic Christian or that you're perfect. Um, chances are they, they know that that's not the case. But they want to engage, and so that's what he did. And he just kept setting that example. He set that and modeled that, and sent the disciples out to do uh, to do the very same thing. Uh, and so he pressed in with those that are open. Um, they asked, they said, "Man, where did this man get these things? Where, where? How was this wisdom given to him?" Uh, in essence, they were saying, "Look, we know Jesus." And this couldn't have come from him. Um, this this has got to be outside of of him. And in, in one way that's that's a good thing, you know, the the recognition in your life or or somebody else's life to be able to say, man, wow, I've, I haven't heard wisdom like that from from this idiot. I mean, I just I, this is surprising to me that that this would come from him. And another another way. You just kind of look and say, "Well, you know, obviously, I mean, Jesus was no average Joe. Um, when he was young, when he was just a boy, he showed up in a, in a temple and he started teaching the teachers, and they were all amazed. And so, there's there's a little bit of a pu- a puzzle of uh, of of all of this. The the plain thing though, in is they just didn't believe him. They didn't believe in him. That's plain. Um, it's a uh, it's amazing how much a person can change over the years. Um, some of y'all, you you haven't been to your ten-year high school reunion. I've been already to my ten. I've already been to my twenty. My twenty-fifth is 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 next year. Um, but some of y'all, uh, I mean, you you remember your ten your ten year, right? All right, somebody in here. Um, I remember going to it and just this whole concept of how much people can change um, is pretty amazing. I mean, I there were. Honestly, there was this girl and, and okay, I won't tell, I won't say too much in case somebody hears later on, but, but I mean, there's this girl that she was, she was gorgeous in in high school. And when I saw her, I didn't recognize her at all. Now, mind you, 10 year high school reunion. How old am I? Do the math. 28. I would have sworn she was 50 years old. All right. Not the fifties old. All right? because i'm i 'm getting there myself, but fifty ain 't nowhere near twenty eight i couldn 't believe it, and you just tell that it had been a rough ten years uh, on this on this lady and uh, so I saw that on, on that aspect but but also as well people changing, There's this guy that I did not like him in high school because he was a part of these these guys that they 're just jerks, and i won 't pinpoint them. Um, Uh, what the group was, but it was just, they were all, they're all jerks uh, during the time. And, and so I saw him and, you know, like the jerk that I am, I just immediately assumed that he was still a jerk, but we kind of rubbed shoulders and began talking and catching up. And guess what? The dude was on fire for Jesus Christ god had radically changed his life and in in me i mean i just kind of had had kind of this oh, i don't know no i don't i don't really think that i want to hang out with this guy and man god just showed me up i mean it was amazing how how much a person could change and i do believe that to a degree that 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 might have been what they're thinking is like i mean wow this is such a change in jesus what is what's happened and um in, in his life, um, uh, it talked about him being a, a carpenter. Uh, isn't this is this the carpenter? I mean, not only that. I mean, they're not they're not just saying, "Well, hey, he, you know, he used to be a part of his dad that that shop that was over here." You know, get two hundred, five hundred people. But I mean, but they're saying, "Look, this is that's Mary's son. His his brothers are James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and, and his sisters are." They're here right now. They're here. So, what is the deal? Um, showed him as a carpenter. Uh, this term actually could could refer to 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 uh, just about any kind of specialized craftsman at that time. But but there's a lot of indications that that is what he did. Uh, that followed in in Joseph's footsteps as as a, a carpenter. Um, now, I want you to pull back for just a second because I want to paint a little bit of a picture of Jesus that maybe you hadn't seen before. And you men or boys that are in here, I want you all to listen carefully about this and, and, to, and to be inspired by the man, Jesus. And, and also from his boyhood, what what could be some takeaways just from this and, and a few other things that are said about him. Um, he, he lived on a ridge. So that means whenever he... He went somewhere. It's like down the mountain, back up the mountain, you know. And he didn't have he didn't have awesome um, Asics gels, you know. Uh, I mean, it was these sandals and running around. I mean, he's he's tough. And any of y'all who do minimalist running, you know that you know that if you start running with all that padding, it strengthens your calves and ligaments and all that. Jesus was strong. He was strong. I mean. In general, people were stronger back then because life was just a lot harder they didn't they didn 't have air conditioning um, they didn 't have they didn 't have um, as much steak as you could purchase from the you know the refrigerator at at the local kroger, kroger. Um, you know they had to, had to fight for things, but he was strong being being that he was uh, the son of a specialized craftsman, most likely. Being a, being a carpenter, this is a guy that every day worked with his hands, all right? How many of y'all, you had a grandfather or or you met somebody's granddad and when, and I mean, they're, they're like 80, 90, 120 years old and you shake their hand and it's a rock. It is just a rock and it's still, still got calluses on it and you just know that this, that this Old man could crush your skull with one hand if he wanted to, okay? This is a picture of how Jesus was. He worked hard with his hands. He was he was a man's man. He was a man's man. If you look at him and, and what happened in his boyhood, it's not in this story but in others, just again about, about he was trained. He was trained theologically as a boy. As a boy. Theology was... Rated very highly to the point by which, again, when he, was, when he was a boy going to the temple, that he began teaching in a way that they were astonished. The teachers were astonished. And I think that there's some of us as parents or future parents in here that we need to raise the bar in our minds of thinking, you know, okay, I... I need to teach my kids about God. I don't need to think, well, by the time they're 16 or by the time they're in college and their mind's more developed, that's when we'll really get into who God is and, and teaching the depths of Jesus Christ. No, man, that's, that's wrong. Uh, and that wasn't the case in Jesus, but he was, he was trained. He was trained well. Um, he, uh, he was apprenticed by his, his, uh, his dad. Now, note, it was his stepdad, um, Joseph. He was apprenticed by him, and and those who were apprenticed by then, but, but, but apprenticed by some someone, the the most most other skills that were out there, they hardly knew anything about, but they became excellent in one thing, and I think that's a value. I think that we that we need to to take and and run with as well, and and take a look at kind of how God has made you anyway, and don't envy other people's skill set or or gifts and abilities or even their their, uh, backgrounds and, and, uh, the things that have kind of propped them up, but rather to look and to say, all right, God, how did you make me and, and help me to find something within the way that you've already made me to, to pursue excellence and to, to be very, very good at it. I mean, Proverbs, Proverbs says, see a man who's skilled in his, in his work. He will not, he will not work before, I forget the term. It's like before menial men, he will serve before the King. All right. um, The point of that is that when you become excellent in something, you add a lot of value, you know, to your village, to your community, to your organization, to your company, to your family, to those that are around you. And Jesus, again, was an example of this. As I said before, Jesus was a a man's man. He was a boy's boy and a man's man. And I just have such respect for that. Um, And in the middle of all that, being powerful because he's God, he was incredibly humble. We have so much that we can learn from Jesus. Let's talk a little bit about his family, his brothers, his sisters. Uh, you know, he got the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and his sisters. And it's interesting that Joseph is not mentioned here. Uh, we don't know for sure, but you know, indication sure, sure could be that Joseph has passed away, um, by this time. And it's just Mary and, and the rest of, of the kids. Um, we're, we're not sure. Um, Uh, it is, it's interesting that you've got all this, you've got doubt from his family about him. Um, That's not direct here, uh, except for maybe with sisters. It's direct in other ways. We've already been there where they thought he was crazy. But, um, But you have just doubts from that and and normally that's the thing where if you're the old, you're the older brother or older sister, you know, and when your younger brother, your younger sister or siblings, when they finally become adults, it's usually the older ones that are just kind of saying, yeah, all right, show me, show me how you've, you've, you've matured because I've seen you eat your boogers. All right. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of the way it is. But this is a flip flop because Jesus is the oldest brother. Y'all do realize that, right? Because Mary was a virgin. Um, he was the first, first born of her. And so all these brothers that are listed and the sisters that are listed um, are younger siblings to Jesus, and um, and they've they've got they've got difficulties in this time again. Uh, as it said uh, as it said in in the Bible that they at some point they thought he was crazy. Now um, in some of the research that I did, um, uh, Eusebius uh, was also a historian uh, of ancient. Uh, ancient Jews and all, and um, one of the things that he says about those who were Jesus's siblings and family, here's some things that he talks about in a future point from, from here. Um, he says that they became Christ followers while retaining their identity as Jews, that they maintained a family base in Nazareth, and that they enjoyed esteemed position in the Jewish Christian community in Nazareth. Okay, so some historians, this is not the Bible, so you don't, have, you don't have to bank on this, but some historians are saying that later on, the siblings of Jesus, they became strong Christians. Now, I believe that the book of James is actually Jesus' Jesus's brother, uh, James, and uh, that that he's, he's speaking about, about his brother, um, and so that would be also another example of this. Um, but this this is not who they are at this at that point and guys this brings up a great thing about grace and the omniscience of god omniscience of god being all-knowing because here's the deal god knows us and sees us when we're spiritually dead he knows us and sees us when we're opposed to him he knows us and sees us when we're growing in faith he knows us and sees us when we're mature and ultimately God already knows us and sees us when we're completed when we die. God's not bound by time. He sees all of that. And so he brings the in perspective to wherever he is. And and though he never he doesn't give lost sinners a pass because he knows that they're going to be saved later, later on. He doesn't say, oh, it's, it's okay. Do whatever you want because you will be saved in 10 years. It's not that. But can you imagine though, the other perspective of Jesus? Um, disappointment, sure, for, for the moment, but at the same time, just knowing. I mean, you'd almost, I think there could almost be a, like this little smirk on his face at times, just kind of knowing, I, I know the end of the story. These folks, these family members, they think I'm crazy now, but I'm going to change your hearts at just the right time. I'm going to change their hearts. And the story is, is going to be changed for them, and it's going to affect so many people. Guys, that brings that brings hope that many who are enemies of Christ now will let her be effective instruments in his hands. That is awesome. And some of the people, like the guy at my 10-year high school reunion, they're just like, man, there's just no way God could use that group, you know? And God uses them and humbles you and inspires you and changes you as a result of His great grace that He does. So is this not the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? Now, here's here's why I want to kind of bring in your Nazareth and, and our Nazareth, because there are people that, in their minds or maybe even out loud they basically say about you man is this not the blank you know and ask yourself what what is it that's defined you what are the things i mean cuz it could be it could be past achievements even that puff you up man i accomplished all these things in my life and, and people think you're the golden boy or the golden girl because you're past. Or for many of us, it's the other side of it of like of the people that they <laughs> they know your stuff. They know your failures. They know they know that you're jacked up, and when you've fallen small and big, they know that. The things that haunt you. We let we let our past understanding stain our current confidence in God and confidence in others. Um, we let past dealings stain our confidence of the people that we see around us. We let We let our past baggage stain our current confidence in ourselves through the gospel that is that we can look at our failures and we can lose all confidence that God can do anything with us and It says they they took offense they took offense and and I, again, I just don't—I don't fully comprehend this, fully understand what the deal—the deal was. Um, but they were offended. I mean, it's almost like—I mean, how dare you? How dare you? You are just the carpenter's son. How dare you? You—you you come from the alcoholic family. How dare you? You're the girl that sleeps around. You come on, you can't be serious. You are the atheist. You were the party guy. You're the OCD lady. You're the poor, uneducated guy. You're the divorced man. You're the adulterer. I mean ultimately, what I what I think it does is it, it just it, it shows us where where our identity is. It shows us where where we believe that the past shackles our identity. About ourselves, we believe the past shackles the identity of others. And God wants to do a great work in us. Um, I believe that to a certain degree, our, our, our understanding of our identity re- is revealed by what we follow. If we, if we follow ourselves and our own agendas, if we follow our past failures... If we follow our perceived successes or if we follow Jesus Christ, everything other than Christ, it's a false platform by which we feel great about ourselves or we feel horrible about ourselves. It's just its just extreme. There's no middle ground when it's you. You're either going to think you're the best things that sliced bread or you're going to think, man, God totally screwed up in making me. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves. We've got to get ourselves off off of our past and get it onto Jesus' past. Jesus' message has always been simple. Believe in me, follow me, worship me. And that's, that's really, in, as he's pressing forward with his disciples and, and doing these miracles, they're really just the signs. And, and he... He did signs which showed that he was king and sovereign and powerful. But there's other times that he would just say, you know what? I'm not going to do signs because you're not going to believe it anyway. And this is the case. There's all these signs that are being done and they didn't believe. Signs did not, did not, it did not mean that people for sure were going to follow him and this is just a little side note here. I don't have time to unpack this, but there's some of y'all in here that you have some kind of a sign, some kind of a fleece, some kind of a thing where if God would only show up and do this in my life or just show up and do this in, on TV or, or whatever it might be, if He just saved this person or this person, then everybody would get saved. Guys, that's not the truth. It's not the truth. Don't trust in signs, don't trust in potential signs. Trust in Jesus, who is the sign. Your past is only going to puff you up or it's going to condemn you. But either way, it keeps you from following Jesus. So that same message, believe Jesus, follow Jesus, and worship Jesus. Uh, Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Um, I grew up here, uh, went to Whitesburg, uh, Whitesburg Elementary, Whitesburg Middle School, went to Grissom High School, and, uh, graduated in 88, and I couldn't wait to press the eject button and get out of Podunk Hunt's patch. I couldn't wait. Some of y'all know what I mean. You, you, you did the same thing. You punched out, um, years later, years later, the idea, I mean, at Huntsville, wow, what a, what a great idea, and, and, uh. When God was revealing that we were supposed to come back to, to Hunts Vegas, um, I I uh, I was excited in so many ways. Family was here, and there's great mission and great vision, but at the same time, you know what I recognized? It's Nazareth. It's Nazareth. I'm like, I can go any to any other city in the world, and I don't have to prove myself. There's not a bunch of people there that know little Dave and that have a notebook somewhere that they've got. They've taken notes of all the stupid, idiotic things that I've done and said. And so I'm like, oh, God, can we just move all my family to a, a different city so I don't have to go and, and remake myself? Now, now, listen, I, there's reality in what I'm saying, but I hope you also see the the this, the tinge of arrogance, or maybe the whole lot, lump of arrogance that's within that as well, of being a man pleaser. I man, I, I want people to think well of me. I, and and so man, if I get to a place where where I've totally blown her or something like that, man, man, pull up roots and let's go somewhere else. I and mean, that's just that's the way a lot of people will do it. Is just man, let's let's press the eject button and go somewhere where people don't know my junk. And uh, God, God doesn't want us to live in fear like that. He wants us to be able to walk it out with people that do know us. And, and there's other stories that come, come with that of, of uh, even just when God really got a hold of my life and, and just I was afraid to, to kind of come back because my lifestyle before, I was like, man, I, people aren't going to believe me. It was my Nazareth high school years, you know. But God was faithful. Um, verse 5 he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them um this is a this is a strange verse and uh i hope it gives you a little bit of pause because it's like what 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 do you mean because it's kind of like what what can god not do you know what is it that what is it that shackled the Son of God where He could not do things? That's not what this is saying. It's not saying that God was unable to do something, that He lacked the power to do it. What it's doing is it's revealing something about the character of God that He has designed things to where faith is a huge part of God's movement. All right? Now, we're not going to get into health and wealth theology here. Um, we're definitely... We definitely do not believe that you may still be sick or may still have cancer because you didn't have enough faith. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but there is something about faith or the complete lack thereof and the movement of God. I was talking with, uh, we had a great uh, introduction to sojourn class yesterday with about six folks. And it was just, it's a lot of fun. We were talking a little bit about the miraculous gifts and uh, we, uh, we believe, we believe in the miraculous gifts here at Sojourn Church. Um, um we, uh, uh I'm, I'm, I just ask God, man, whatever you want to pour out, God, that you do it, 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 not be about us, but about you and what you want to do. And I mean, I'd love to see God just do some miraculous things like I've seen in, in, uh, in, um, Tanzania or over in Kenya and in other places where, where the miracles, it just seems like God does more miracles, and and I, and I think I think there's kind of a Nazareth concept, uh, there's kind of or maybe a Nazareth culture that, um, I mean, if you analyze it um, of why there's more miracles that take place in third world countries, um, I believe that it has something to do with the uh, the age of enlightenment, um, uh, the um, that that the the uh, in the West uh, the idea and the ideal that we don 't need god that there's no there 's no spirituality that it 's just us and it was kind of the beginnings of i mean or the really the big movement of secular humanism that it 's just what you see it 's only matter that there 's no there 's no spirituality and in the countries that kind of came out of the wake the, the wake of of the enlightenments um, these are countries where there 's there's not a lot of miracles that that take place, but in other parts of the world where that kind of thinking never happened, and you still have animism and 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 sorcery and other things that go on, they never got to a place where they they really they doubted spirituality and, and things outside of matter, and so there's an expectation that there that things do happen in the spiritual realm, and and I, I believe that. I believe there's some kind of a correlation. I don't, have, I don't have it figured out, but I think that's part of it. And I just ask that God would just blow us away and that maybe in every one of us that we would just kind of say, God, whatever that looks like in my own heart, to where I just kind of say, okay, God's kind of hindered and doesn't do a lot of things, that it would just kind of implode and, and be destroyed. And instead we just say, God, you can do all that you want. And I pray that you do that in my life and in my family and my church and in my city. And that you do that in America, that you just, you blow away our expectations. That all the all the great scientists that are out here, but that maybe have doubts that there's anything outside of science, that God, you just blow them away with all kinds of great miracles. And so I'd ask you all to to join me and pray in that, that God would, he'd just, he'd just blow us away. In this scientific town, what would happen if there's just this little trickle and trickle and trickle in a stream? And all of a sudden, whoa, a rushing water of God's movement in our town to where... All the, all the smart people of our town just say, there must be a God. I don't know if it's Jesus or not, but something's up, right? I'd love to see that. All right, that wasn't in the notes. it's just kind of extra, right? Um, but uh, um, D.A. Carson mentioned this. Um, he said, it doesn't mean that God's power is absolutely limited, but that God has chosen to act only in response to faith in this issue. Usually, Mark says that people were amazed at Jesus. Here, he says that Jesus was amazed at them. So I mean, he just he just was astonished. It's like all these things are being done, and you guys just aren't responding. Well. Um, I believe. Uh, I mean, you've heard the proverb: familiarity breeds contempt. And I believe that's true. The more we know about one another, the more we see each other's baggage. That familiarity, many times, we we doubt. We bring more works-based worldview of. I and mean, you gotta, you gotta prove it. You gotta do it, rather than grace. And um, let's uh, let's move to this last part, verse six. And he marvelled because of their unbelief. And he went about uh, among the villages teaching. He marvelled at their unbelief. Yikes, you guys! I mean, I mean, this is alarming. I mean, Jesus is exasperated, and this this included his siblings. Remember? It included all these younger siblings of his. And listen to me, y'all. There will be times when your family does not believe in you. There will be times and if I mean if you really jump off the cliff into Jesus' arms and you're just like, man, I mean, I, I'm just I'm going head first, not dipping my toe in the water, not going to see how people respond, but just full board Jesus'. My Lord and Savior, he can do whatever he wants to do in my life. There will be family members that they're going to call you a fanatic. They're just like, man, you know, just just tone it down. Why do you have to be so extreme? Why, does, why do you have to talk about Jesus every time we get together? Don't tone it down. Don't listen to him. I mean, don't be a bully. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, as we said before, I mean, don't try to force it, force it into these relationships where people, they, they're not interested in spiritual things or not interested in you anyway. But dadgum, man, what would what happen if, if we just completely release and just said, all right, God, I've heard all these stories of people that, man, when they just truly give 100% what happens in their lives, and kind of been holding back, I've been playing it safe, I'm, just, I'm afraid of what people might say. What would happen if, if we just said, God, would you crush that and just free me? Because that's what it is. We're in shackles by it. He, he wants to free us. Um, so the result in, of this was he went, he went elsewhere. He went elsewhere. Now, listen to me. Listen. If you tap out, spiritually speaking, I don't mean get unsaved. That's not possible. But if you kind of tap out and say, man, I'm I'm just done. I, I'm, I'm pulling out of this, you know. God will still move, but he'll go around you. And that is very sad. Now, we're all that person sometimes. We, we're all. So I'm not just saying, all right, a few of you that have done that and others, shame on you. No, I, I'm that guy at times. We're all that guy at times. We just kind of. Oh, God, I'm just tired, you know. Just forget it. I just, it's just too much. So it's just beautiful again. Think about the story. I mean, these family members, they're they are not with it now. But later on, man, God captures their heart. There's hope in that. There's grace. Just, but refuse to be that guy anymore. Um, just tell God. Say, God, I, mean, I, I believe, but also don't believe. <laughs> There's things I believe, but obviously, Lord, I don't. I don't believe a lot. Help me with my unbelief, God. And you know what he'll do? He'll help you. He'll help me. Um, He'll move in. Let me just give you guys a a few just closing thoughts, just kind of wrap everything up. Um, You know, again, he said they they took offense. How dare you? You're a carpenter's son. Um, Some of y'all, you... You know, no, there's nothing bad about him being a carpenter, so there's no sin in his life. But in, in us, there is junk. There's baggage that maybe, again, a long time ago, or it could be today, that we're dealing with the baggage, the junk, the the, uh, the fallout of, of sin uh, in our, our lives of failure. And um, you may just think, you may seen him when I've blown it, um, God cannot forgive me God cannot love me or you might say he can never forgive me or love me again or she can never forgive me or, or love me again and so part of the question is what do you do what do you do when you fail what do you do when you sin and it's just it 's just big and bad and, and ugly it's it's not it 's not rocket science guys what we 're to do is we 're to confess our sins before God just say God I admit it This is sin. And we repent. We turn away and just say, God, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to keep going to that that false security. I want to go to you. Instead, that's repentance. And then what needs also to happen, though, is that when we go before the Lord in confession and repentance, that we also go to the other person or persons. And when you say, I own it. I failed. I confess it, I sinned against you, please forgive me, even if that takes time, a long time i 'm just asking, forgive me, so, and that you, you know that you do you do whatever necessary for restitution. you don 't do restitution with God. Jesus took care of restitution, he paid it all, but with people, when there's fallout from, from our sin or our failure, you look of how. how how do things need to be healed and, and fixed or put back together? How is trust to be earned and, or re- respect to be re-earned? And, and you can't force that. You can't rush that. You just have to be willing to take one step. You can't jump a mile ahead. You've got to just take the next step and just be ready. And then, and then faithfulness is, is uh, what has to, has to walk out from that. But Jesus went to the cross. Therefore, I mean, we can face the music when we fail the stuff in your past or the stuff today you can face the music but the other part of it is what what do we do when others fail all right what about it, it's the other people it's not it's not you in this case but somebody else you need to forgive them you need to tell them that you forgive them and you need to lead them to Jesus now that doesn't mean necessarily that that means that they, they are converted to Christ. That would be awesome. But it just means that you point them to Jesus. As being their savior. And then you help them in confession, repentance, restitution and faithfulness. Um, last little thing I will throw out to you guys is this. That ultimately. Nazareth is not your home. Jesus is your home. And. And. If you've done all that you can, you know, in facing, in facing your failures and your sin and you know that you're forgiven and you're walking through restitution and doing whatever you can to, and asking for forgiveness uh, from others, you can't force restitution and reconciliation to happen. You pray for it, but you can't force it. Um, or even people that they just think you're crazy or they don't like you anymore. You can't change their hearts. All you can do is keep walking keep following Jesus. I'm not saying you reject them, but if they reject you, you just say, I have to keep walking with Jesus Christ and pray for reconciliation, pray for restitution, but just keep walking, keep following Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus did not run away. He kept circling back to his hometown and ultimately won the hearts of his family. He didn't eject and run away and and draw a new line in the sand every time somebody didn't like him. We need to also do the same thing. We need to be very courageous, understanding the grace provides what we need to face the music and to walk in a gospel-centered community, to be able to walk out and to be healed and to seek restitution and to be able to ultimately let go of our baggage or to release other people and forgive them from theirs, and so don't run away,'t don't, don't press the eject button, keep walking with Christ and definitely walk with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to be able to deal with your Nazareth. God, I pray that, I pray that you, uh, you help people to, to believe in you, to follow you and to worship you. I pray, Lord that people as they look at their present or their past and, and there's just so much condemnation there. Lord, that there's true that there would be true conviction uh, and true sorrow for for sin, Lord, but the the shackles would be broken, Lord Jesus. That we know that you paid the price of the condemnation for it on the cross, and uh, that that we just say, now, God, help me to understand that forgiveness and to walk out where necessary restitution with others, seeking forgiveness of others, Lord Jesus, and faithfulness with you, God. Um, Bless us as we process through this. And even in a minute, as, we, as any Christian in here, Lord, as we, as we go to the, the, the Lord's table, that you would help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.